I just want to say uh, how happy I am to see each of you here this morning um, with it being Christmas Day and for many of you having family in town, I understand the tension of uh, feeling like maybe you should just stay at home today and yet you made the choice to be here and for that I am so grateful. Uh, It is pleasing to the Lord when his people gather on his day to worship him uh, in spirit and truth, uh, week in and week out. Uh, in fact, he commands us to do so. And so as his church, uh, not only is it good and right for us to gather on the Lord's day, uh, but it is something we do out of obedience to him as our master, as our Lord. And of all the days uh, that we could gather, uh, that we would gather on this day where we celebrate the incarnation, God uh, coming near to us, God became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, and we have seen his glory. We've sung of his glory this morning, and this is right and good, and so it brings me such joy uh, to stand before you on this day uh, in particular, and I'm so glad that you are here uh, with us this morning. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, as we will be looking at verses 1 through 20 together this morning and considering this part of Luke's gospel as he speaks of the Christmas story. The birth of Christ and then the shepherds and the angels and the shepherds coming to see the baby there in the manger. So if you would, follow along with me as we begin reading there in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them considering this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Father, I pray in these few moments as we consider this glorious passage together this morning that your truth would reign supreme in this place, that you would help us to think well on the Christmas story, and that we would go from this place eager and ready to proclaim this glorious truth to those around us. Lord, we thank you for the message of Christ's birth, and I pray, Lord, as we think on these things this morning, that you would draw us uh, to yourself that our affections and our attentions would be turned to you this morning. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable before you. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Uh, The story of Christmas is a story of God intervening on our behalf. And it is all of God. This Christmas story, this baby in a manger, this virgin birth. Uh, It's interesting, when you look at each of the Gospels and their perspective on the Christmas story, uh, each of them having their own unique story to tell, all of the Gospels present this story in such a way where the writer makes it clear to us that this is not of man. This is not man's doing. This is the work of a sovereign God to intervene on behalf of a fallen world. Uh, You look at Matthew's gospel where he talks about Joseph's encounter with the angel, uh, and it is clear in Matthew's gospel that he wants us to see that Joseph had nothing to do with this thing. It was all of God. Uh, You look in John's gospel where he talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. This is is not something that man orchestrated or, or did. This is not a cute story that was fabricated by some people that lived 2,000 years ago. No, this is the work of creator God himself. And we see that here in Luke's gospel as well. Just to someone who might read this for the first time, they might see all of the workings of this story, this narrative, and think to themselves, wow, this is very coincidental. All of these moving parts coming together for this scene where people gather around this manger. But for those of us who are in Christ this morning, who know the word of God, we know that this is not happenstance, this is not circumstance, this is the working of a sovereign king to bring about his glorious will in this world, to save sinners like you and I. And it started there in a manger, a baby who was laid there in straw, who possessed the nature of God and the nature of man, and would go to a cross and die a death in our place. And so as we consider this, and we look at Luke's take here in chapter 2 on this part of the story, we see that the story of Christmas is a story of providence. And so I want us to consider that this morning as we walk through this passage. I want us to see how God is providentially at work in the midst of this particular part of the Christmas story. 
Before we do that, though, I want us to consider what this word providence means. How can we understand what, what providence is? Uh, the word providence comes from the Latin terms pro, which means before, and vide, which means to see. Uh, and the word there in the Latin that we get our word providence is provideo, uh, from which we get the word providence, which means literally to see beforehand, or, or you might uh, see it as meaning foreknowledge. Um, in doctrine and in theology, there is a difference, though, between the foreknowledge of God and the providence of God. And we need to make that distinction. We won't spend much time thinking about foreknowledge this morning of God, the fact that God knows the future. He understands perfectly what the future holds, and everything will happen according to his perfect will. And so even though the word providence literally means foreknowledge, the truth and the doctrine of the providence of God reaches beyond just an idea of foreknowledge. And so as we think of the word providence, I want us to consider this morning more of the idea of provision. And we'll see that as we, we think more of this together in a moment. The first time that the Bible speaks of God's providence uh, is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. And the verse there says in Genesis 22, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Who asked that question? Well, if you know the story of Genesis, you know full well that that was Isaac, when his father brought him to the mountain uh, to sacrifice him in obedience to the Lord. And he asked his father where the lamb is for the sacrifice. In the very next verse, in, in verse 8 of Genesis 22, Abraham replies in this way. He says this, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. This is the picture of providence that God will provide. Here we get the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide. God makes provision for our needs. As we think more in trying to understand what providence is, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines providence like this. It says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Uh, John Piper recently wrote a book on providence where he defined providence this way. He says, The providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. God's providence carries his plans into action, guides all things toward his ultimate goal, and leads to the final consummation. Now, in a simpler way of thinking of providence, when I teach my children what providence means, I teach them that it is the understanding that God works all things according to our good and his glory. That everything happens in this life for that ultimate purpose. The falling of a snowflake, the lightning striking its mark, nothing is outside of the control and the will of God, and he's using it all to provide for us exactly what we need for our good and his glory. Now, that does not mean that our life will be free of, of suffering or pain or, or sorrow, 
But in the midst of even the darkest hours of life, we rest in the providence of God, knowing that as his people, he is at work in our lives for our good and ultimately for his glory. So all of creation is under the providential care of God. God provides all things and works all things according to his perfect will. And so this gives us, as Christians this morning, a peace even in the darkest hour. When you find yourself on your deathbed, you find a peace and a hope that comes from knowing that God is still at work in your life for something far greater than yourself. And so again, the story of Christmas is a story of providence. It is a story full of seemingly random actions that are actually providential events that are happening according to God's perfect will. And so you might read the story and think to yourself again, how coincidental is this? But we see a God who is at work to bring about his sovereign will. So I want us then to look at the text, and I want us to notice all of the providential acts that we see happening here in this story. So look to the text with me, Luke chapter 2, as we walk through this and highlight the providential acts of God that we see in this story. First, we see there right away in verse 1 that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. In Proverbs, it tells us that the Lord turns the heart of the king wherever he will. And so this decree goes out from Caesar Augustus according to the will of God. And so Mary and Joseph find themselves then in a situation where they have to move, to be registered. They have no other choice than to obey this edict. They were led, ultimately though, by the hand of God to the place where Christ was to be born, which is, you see it there, the city of David. Verse 3, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And for Joseph, that was because he went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Again, it is no coincidence that Joseph and Mary find themselves in the city of David for the birth of Christ. This is the prophecy that was told to us from the Old Testament, that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days." It was according to God's will and his plan that David would return to the city of David, to Bethlehem, for this particular birth. We go on there and we see in verse 5 that David is betrothed to Mary. This is important to the story because if they were not betrothed, if they were not legally pledged in marriage, they would not have gone together to the city of David. But because of what has happened already in the story, and they are betrothed, and, and Joseph has not kicked her to the side and secretly divorced her, as Matthew's gospel tells us he wanted to do, but rather, in obedience to God, Matt, uh, Joseph stays with Mary. Uh, you look there at Matthew's gospel, and the, and the angel said to Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And in obedience, Joseph has done this, and so they are going together to Bethlehem. 
Joseph, being a righteous man, obeyed the command of the Lord. And so Mary herself finds herself in Bethlehem. We go on there in the text, and we see at the end of verse 5 that she was with child. Again, this was not Joseph's doing. This was not Mary's doing, but this was the work of God himself, that this virgin bore a child. This is God at work. She was with child. And then it goes on to say there in verse 6 that the time came for her to give birth. I love this. In a day where uh, we are, are more prone to schedule our, our pregnancies and our birth according to a schedule and a timing, uh, we, we live in a day where we can induce labor and, and, and you hear people say, you know, my, my uh, child's going to be born on this day, as we've had medical advancements in our day and all of these things. Make no mistake about it, though, God is still sovereign over the birth of a child. And it is no coincidence that they find themselves in the city of David just as it is time for her to give birth. Then we see there in verse 7 that there was no place for them in the inn. Again, we might think to ourselves, what bad luck? How unfortunate is that? That's some pretty poor timing. If Joseph was a better planner, this would have worked out better for Mary. But this is crucial to the story. Because Christ came into this world in a lowly state. He was not born into a palace of a king, but into complete and utter poverty, showing the reality of God made low. We continue then in verse 8, and we see that there were shepherds in the same region that very night, keeping watch over their flocks. Again, this is no coincidence that these shepherds just happened to be here in that same region on this particular night. One commentator said of this, it would have been to no purpose that Christ was born in Bethlehem if it had not been made known to the world. And that proclamation of the baby's birth started when an angel of the Lord appeared to lowly, stinky shepherds on the side of a hill in the middle of the night. These outcasts to society were the first to receive the message that Messiah had come. And initially, they're filled with fear. We mentioned this last week in looking at the birth of John the Baptist, that fear is a theme to this story. But the angel says to them to fear not, and rightfully so, because they have now been comforted by a comfort in knowing that Messiah had come, that they would be reconciled to God. And so they fall in fear, but they rise up with a message that God has come to save them from their sins. And we see here that this is good news of great joy that will be for all people. It wouldn't just be for the shepherds on the hillside to keep for themselves, but it would be for all who believe from every nation and tribe and tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they speak of this great joy that they have, of this redemption that is coming, which was long foretold, that prophets spoke of this baby who would come as Messiah to save the world. 
They see this sign that the angel tells them that they will find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so it says there in verse 15 that they go to see this thing that the Lord had made known to them. But after they see this thing, they, in verse 17, made it known to others. They went and told of the message they received from the angels. And in the end there, in verse 20, it says, They glorified and praised God for all that they had heard and seen. This glorious message that had been revealed to them. And they saw the glory of God himself in a manger. They heard the story. They saw him. And they went and told it to others. I hope you see the providential hand of God in this story. That God was at work to make this known to those on this evening and to us this morning some 2,000 years later. And so as we consider the providence of Christmas, my prayer is that we would find a peace that comes only through knowing the steadfast love of God. That we would understand that all things in this life are working together for our good and God's glory. That we too would find the comfort of the gospel when we humble ourselves before God in faith and repentance. That we would know the joy of redemption that comes through Christ and Christ alone. And that we too, like the shepherds, would go and tell what we have seen and heard to the glory and praise of God. That we would not keep the Christmas story to ourselves in this place, but as we go from this place, that we would share it with those who have yet to hear. But as we close, I want us to consider one final thing. This story is most definitely a story of providence, but I also want us to consider that all of life is a story of the providence of God. It is no mistake that you are here in this place this morning. On this particular day, in this particular pew, it is all according to the perfect will of God that you are here today to consider these truths that God himself has come near to us. This is no coincidence. This is the providence of God that we have gathered in this place together today to celebrate the truth and the glory of Christmas. And so would you consider then, as we gather here, the greatest act of provision that the world has ever seen? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that this baby that was looked upon by these shepherds some 2,000 years ago would grow into a man who would live a sinless life, He would die on a cross in our place. He would rise victoriously over sin and death. And if you believe in him this morning, you will have eternal life. This is the greatest story of providence the world has ever known. The greatest story of provision that God provided a way for us in our lowly sinful state to be reunited with him, reconciling God to man once and for all. So would you believe in this Savior this morning? Would you turn in faith and repentance to him this morning as Lord and Savior of your life? Let's pray.